Now, on the Inside Story, Israel at War. Welcome to the Inside Story. I'm Carla Babb at the Pentagon. The military and humanitarian fallout from the Hamas strike into Israel continues to expand. More than 1,400 Israelis killed, nearly 3,000 Palestinians killed, and thousands more injured. The fate of nearly 200 Israelis kidnapped by Hamas, unknown. Israeli troops are massed on the border between Israel and Gaza, and Palestinians caught in the crossfire struggle to survive. We begin with U.S. President Joe Biden making a high-profile visit to Israel this week. But a planned summit in Jordan with leaders from Egypt and the Palestinian Authority was called off after an attack at a Gaza hospital that Gaza health officials say has killed several hundred people. Palestinian authorities say the hospital was hit by an Israeli attack. Israel says it was hit by an errant rocket fired by Palestinian militants. VOA's Patsy Whitakraswara starts us off. This is what remains of the parking lot of the Ahli Arab Hospital in Gaza City, where a massive blast on Tuesday killed hundreds of people. Arriving in Tel Aviv Wednesday to show support for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, President Joe Biden said he was deeply saddened and outraged by the hospital explosion. Based on the information we've seen to date, it appears the result of an errant rocket fired by a terrorist group in Gaza. Biden said Israel has agreed that humanitarian assistance can begin to move from Egypt to Gaza and announce $100 million U.S. aid for Palestinians. He vowed to provide Israel what it needs to defend itself, but urged restraint in its retaliation. You live by the rule of law. When conflicts flare, you live by the law of wars. Netanyahu thanked Biden for his support. His government has pounded Gaza with airstrikes, killing 3,000 people, and ordered 2 million Gazans to evacuate ahead of an expected ground invasion in response to the militant group Hamas' brazen incursion on October 7th, which killed 1,400 people. Hamas is responsible and should be held accountable for all civilian casualties. Hamas blamed the hospital blast on an Israeli airstrike, while Israel said it was an errant rocket from the militant group Islamic Jihad. That group also denied responsibility. The hospital was considered a haven for Gazans fleeing Israeli attacks. I don't know. A missile fell on us. We were on the floor. Everything got destroyed. We were destroyed. The explosion and Israeli retaliation to Hamas have ignited massive protests in various cities, including in Lebanon, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, Tunisia and Turkey. Demonstrators laid the blame on Israel. In Tel Aviv, Biden met with Israeli survivors of the October 7th Hamas attack. He had been scheduled to head next to Amman to meet leaders of Jordan, Egypt and the Palestinian Authority. But the summit and the Jordan leg of the trip were scrapped following the blast. Patsy Widakuswara, VOA News. Tensions also are rising along Israel's border to the north with Lebanon. The Lebanese militant political group Hezbollah says an Israeli ground invasion of Gaza would draw them into the conflict. Jacob Russell has more from the Lebanese capital, Beirut. 
As Israel appears to be preparing for an invasion of the Gaza Strip, the Lebanese militant political group Hezbollah has said that this would provoke their entry into the war. The border between Israel and Lebanon has been tense for years, with Israeli defense forces and Hezbollah periodically exchanging fire. Until now, both sides have respected rules of engagement designed to avoid triggering a full-scale war. But already in the first few days of the Israel-Hamas conflict, the violence along Lebanon's border with Israel has escalated considerably, causing casualties on both sides of the border. Compared to the previous um, rules of engagement and <clears throat> the, um, the attacks that happened in the past two days were an escalation of what we've had uh, in the past. And I think uh, what comes next is also going to be, um, you know, within within the same frame, um, and a kind of an upgrade in terms of violence that we've uh, previously seen. Um, but the, the question is, you know, are both sides interested in keeping it within this uh, confined uh, space? Inside Lebanon, Hezbollah enjoys support from those who see it as defending a just cause. It's not okay to restrain, to hurt Palestinian people, children and civilians. It should be, uh, it should be military against military. However, many also remember the last time the two sides went to war in 2006 and do not want to be dragged into another one. Of course we're afraid. It will destroy our homes. It will destroy our country. We've had enough. We don't want it. The likely destruction that Lebanon would experience in another war with Israel would have serious consequences for the country's fragile internal order. If, if there's an, uh, an Israeli, a massive Israeli bombing campaign out of 2006, leading to a great destruction within Lebanon, that would uh, reshuffle the cards internally. Hezbollah appears to have little interest in assuaging the concerns of other Lebanese. Speaking anonymously, a senior commander recently told VOA News that the party has units in Beirut at full readiness to defend its supporters from other Lebanese factions. He said, quote, if necessary, we can take over this country in 24 hours. Lebanon is still reeling from a profound socio-economic crisis and could ill afford to rebuild after a war. Internally, the long-term consequences of war would depend heavily on Hezbollah's ability to secure funding for reconstruction. Jacob Russell for VOA News, Beirut, Lebanon. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin placed more than 2,000 military personnel on heightened alert this week with a prepare to deploy order. The Pentagon telling VOA that the units, should they be activated by the president, will further boost the U.S. military's air defenses and intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance abilities in the region along with medical and logistical capabilities. Here's a look at how the U.S. is flexing its military muscle in the Middle East. Another American carrier strike group speeds toward the region. The USS Dwight D. Eisenhower aircraft carrier will join the USS Gerald R. Ford carrier strike group that's locked and loaded in the eastern Mediterranean. Our main goal by positioning uh, not one, but a second carrier will be there soon, is um, to send a message of deterrence, to say to actors in the region who think that they might want to take advantage of this conflict, do not do that. Sailors aboard the USS Ford, America's biggest and baddest warship, had been wrapping up their six-month deployment. Now, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has extended the deployment of the Ford along with the cruiser and destroyer ships sailing with it without stating an end date. 
Three ships with the USS Bataan Amphibious Ready Group are positioning thousands of Marines in waters near Israel. Marines able to penetrate hostile territory or provide medical care and assistance. A squadron of A-10 attack aircraft has arrived in the Middle East with another A-10 squadron's deployment extended. And more F-15 and F-16 fighter jets also are rolling in as concerns grow that Hezbollah could join the fight from the north once an expected ground invasion of Gaza begins. Hezbollah has something like 200,000 rockets and missiles. The ability to strike those positions would be incredibly important. These force packages create that opportunity or that option. In addition to boosting its military presence, the U.S. has sent at least five C-17s carrying military aid for Israel Defense Forces. We are certainly uh, giving Israel the security assistance it needs to take out and, and to um, effectively push back on Hamas in Gaza. Again, I will reiterate as many times as you want, that does not mean the killing of innocent civilians. U.S. defense officials say the administration is providing Israel with precision munitions and interceptor missiles for its Iron Dome air defense system, with more to come. When Israel's war on Hamas began, travel between the two areas was cut off, and Palestinian workers in Israel couldn't get home. Now, thousands of men are trapped outside Gaza as their families try to survive bombings there. VOA's Heather Murdoch reports from Ramallah in the West Bank. In this municipal building in Ramallah, a city in the occupied West Bank, hundreds of men spend their days despairing as the war between Israel and Hamas takes an increasing toll on civilians in Gaza. Many say they would rather risk death and go home than hear about their families suffering on the phone or by text message. The men say they don't want to be identified on camera for security reasons. Selah Hassan has a wife and three teenage daughters, all trapped inside Gaza. We were simple people living our lives. We have nothing to do with what is happening. We were just trying to build our lives and build families. My daughter is in her second year of university and was learning English. She wanted to graduate, but now our dreams are shattered. Everything is destroyed. Gaza is home to two million people, and the only border crossing that was open before the war was destroyed on the first day of fighting, when Hamas conducted a massive surprise attack. Since then, Israel has conducted a near-constant bombing campaign on Gaza. Families have been told to evacuate some areas of Gaza, which is roughly 40 kilometers long and 10 kilometers wide, but there is no way to escape. But Hassan says his family wouldn't go, even if they could. They say we want to stay in our house until they shell us. Aid workers say they are providing food and housing for the men, who are among thousands of workers from Gaza whose Israeli work permits were revoked after the start of the war. Last night there were 800 here. We're giving them food and trying to calm them because they're devastated by news from their families in Gaza. But supplies are already running low, she says, and there is limited support coming in. Israel has vowed to utterly defeat Hamas in this war, and Hamas has declared 
it has a plan to defend itself. Many men here say they have given up hope for a happy outcome and believe that they may never see their families again. Heather Murdoch, VOA News, Ramallah, West Bank. Meanwhile, dozens of Israeli hostages are trapped inside the Palestinian territory. The International Committee of the Red Cross is pressing Hamas for access to at least 199 hostages kidnapped during the Hamas raid into Israel more than a week ago. From Tel Aviv, Linda Gradstein reports on how hundreds of Israeli civilians have established a war room in a desperate effort to find the hostages. For families and friends, a wall of heartbreak. The faces of some of the 199 or more civilians kidnapped and taken into Gaza hang outside Israel's defense ministry headquarters as a reminder they're still missing. Among the kidnapped are young children and older adults. The families of the hostages have banded together to pressure the government to bring their relatives home. They took his wife, my aunt, Adina Moshe, 70 years old. She's sick. They took it out of the windows. And then we didn't know what happened to her until hours later we get from many people that uh, sh show us the movie that here between two terrorists, cruel terrorists who kill her husband and they took her on a motorcycle to Gaza Strip. The families say that for more than a week no representative for the government has met with them. But private Israelis sprang into action. They call it the War Room for the Missing, and they opened it at the Tel Aviv Expo Center. Here, hundreds of volunteers look online for any shred of evidence about the fate of the hostages. Until the war started, many were members of a group called Brothers in Arms, one of the organizations behind nine months of mass protests against the Israeli government's planned judicial overhaul. Now the group has turned its attention to finding the hostages. Israeli citizens from all kinds of different sectors, from technology, from interrogation, from intelligence, from social networks, are gathered here to try to create a, a full image of what's going on. Nahon, an information systems professor at Reichman University, says information they've gathered leads them to believe that more than 100 of the hostages are still alive. She sends the information found by her volunteers to the Israeli security services. We found a lot of information about, about people in social media. And some cases we understand that they were murdered and then we, it's our job to, to update that we got new data. In other cases we uh, see that, they, that they're alive and they, they, we see them right online that they survived the event and what they're doing at the moment. And in other cases we bring it to further research if, if we don't have enough data. He says the public's response makes him proud of his country. Citizens have supplied food to soldiers, helped tens of thousands of Israelis displaced from their homes near Gaza, and provided psychological help for those dealing with trauma. When you see people just gather around and do whatever needs to be done at the moment to be strong and to win this situation, for me this is my greatest source for being optimistic. Israel is poised for a ground invasion of Gaza, but many Israelis say that getting the hostages back is their first priority. Linda Gradstein, VOA News, Tel Aviv.
European Union leaders are seeking a balanced response to the conflict following Hamas's cross-border attack into Israel that resulted in the death of at least 1,400 Israelis. Since the October 7th attack, thousands of Palestinian civilians have lost their lives and the rising death toll has exposed divisions in Europe. Our correspondent Henry Ridgewell explains the efforts being made by leaders in order to find a common ground. There are growing fears in Europe that the conflict between Israel and Palestinian militants in Gaza will be felt beyond the Middle East. The European Union has called an emergency heads of state conference to be held Tuesday. It has the potential to worsen tensions between communities and to feed extremism. Finally, there is a major risk of migration and movements of a large number of people to neighboring countries. European nations gave Israel their full support in the days following the Hamas attacks. But critics say there has been mixed messaging from EU leaders as the Israeli assault on Gaza intensifies. Visiting the Kfar Aza kibbutz Friday in southern Israel, where Hamas killed dozens of civilians, EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen offered unequivocal support. Israel has the right to defend itself. In fact, it has the duty to defend its people. Following that speech, the chair of the European Parliament's Security and Defence Subcommittee, Natalie Loiseau, wrote that von der Leyen was forgetting an important message. Israel must respect international humanitarian law. Meanwhile, the EU's foreign policy chief, Josep Borrell, said last week Israel's siege of Gaza is against international law. The political narrative is becoming more nuanced, says Middle East analyst Andreas Krieg. I think we're already seeing some of the Western policymakers backtracking and trying to put things into context and saying, while we stand with Israel, we also have to make sure that the lives of Palestinian civilians have to be uh, secured and protected. That view is echoed in European public opinion, says analyst Andreas Bohm. They do have solidarity for Israel due to the nature of the attack. But if you go on um, on the long run, if we see these pictures of, say, thousands or 10,000s um, of people killed in Gaza, so that might change it. Israel is unlikely to change course, says Krieg. I think the Israelis also will be more resilient in, in sustaining criticism and sustaining also uh, the leverage of Western policymakers. Because they're saying this is our war, look at these atrocities and we'll do whatever is necessary to eradicate Hamas. Meanwhile, the European Union's Executive Commission has announced a tripling of humanitarian assistance to Gaza to 79 million US dollars. With Israel maintaining a complete siege of the territory, it isn't clear how or when the aid might reach those in need. Henry Ridgewell, VOA News, London. At least 15 journalists have died covering this war. VOA's Christina Casido-Smith reports on what's been called the deadliest first week for journalists in any recent conflict. Reuters editor-in-chief Alessandra Galoni pays tribute to video journalist Isam Abdallah, who was struck by a shell and killed October 13, while filming cross-border fire between Israeli forces and Hezbollah, a militant group in Lebanon. He was just doing his job when he was killed. Reporting on world events with accuracy, integrity, independence and freedom from bias is core to what we stand for at Reuters. The shell, 
which reports say originated in Israel, injured six other journalists. Galoni called for transparency in Israel's investigation into the incident, and she underscored the need for the media to be able to report on the war. And it is critically important for our journalists to be able to do so safely. Safety is the key word for newsrooms sending teams into Israel and Gaza. In the first week of the conflict, at least 15 journalists, including Abdallah, have been killed, says the Committee to Protect Journalists. Others have been injured or obstructed in what UNESCO says is the deadliest first week for journalists in any recent conflict. But having media on the ground in times of war is vital. Having journalists able to be there to record things is so critical to understanding what is happening and for there to be an accountability, particularly given the number of civilians who are involved. It is imperative that journalists provide verified and factual coverage of the Israel-Hamas war, says Rachel Oswald, chair of the National Press Club Press Freedom Committee. We are seeing all parties to the conflict are trying to dominate the information scene with lies, with, with misinformation, with manipulated images. Journalists being there to say what is fact is essential. With risks to journalists increasing globally, conversations and training on safety are happening at an earlier stage, including at high schools and university journalism programs. The James W. Foley Legacy Foundation, which advocates for the safety of journalists and U.S. nationals wrongfully detained abroad, has set up a journalist safety curriculum task force to train and support the next generation of reporters. Key to training and preparing to cover a dangerous situation is to have a plan. That includes having people with knowledge of the region on the team and coordinating with editors in the newsroom. Safety specialists say it is also essential to have an exit plan in case the situation becomes too dangerous. If somebody's in a dangerous situation somewhere else, they actually have, in an immediate sense, the best picture of what's going on. So it's not up for me to say, all right, well, here's what you need to do. It's up for the reporter themselves to, to make a decision, stick to it, and let us know. With the number of civilians killed and injured in the Israel-Hamas conflict rising daily, and more journalists arriving to cover the war, safety is an essential part of a newsroom planning. Cristina Caicedo-Smith, VOA News. Just a few days ago, these once bustling streets were teeming with people. But since the war between Hamas and Israel began, the old city of Jerusalem resembles a ghost town. Tourists and pilgrims have fled, fearing the brutal violence of the Gaza Strip and areas surrounded and the Lebanon border might reach this far. So as you see, it's like a strike. It's a few people going out, and then, but there's no tourists, no people coming in. And, uh, it's very sad. Most shops are closed, and the few that are open hardly have any customers. Some merchants say they are coming to work just to avoid staying at home and watching the distressing news about the war. At the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, one of the most visited sites in Jerusalem, very few people attended Sunday Mass. Clerics here say they have never seen the church as empty as it is now. At the Western Wall, only the most observant came to pray. In the Christian quarter, Yahaya Atzieh says he has been here since before the 1948 creation of the State of Israel, selling souvenirs to tourists and pilgrims. 
He says that not even during the most violent times has he seen the old city like this. Not like now. This is the first time I saw it very empty. Because it's a big war in Gaza. In the first nine months of 2023, nearly 2.7 million tourists visit here. Now, shop owners wonder when the visitors will be back. Yambuesha, VOA News, Jerusalem. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Inside Story for our continuing coverage of the war between Israel and Gaza. You can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at VOA. Catch up on past episodes on our free streaming service, VOA+. Plus. Stay up to date with all the latest news at voanews.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at VOA News. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Inside Story. I'm Carla Babb. Thanks for watching.